Okay, we're in Lesson 40. We're in Part 6. We're in the last part of this section of Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. And that has to do with these Proverbs written by Solomon that were compiled by Hezekiah's scribes, by Hezekiah's men, probably under the direction of Hezekiah. And so we're going to go through all of these today. We've got a lot to cover today. So let's start off with verse 5. We're going to look at the issue of speech. Now remember, what is one topic that is constantly referred to in the book of Proverbs? Anybody? How we use our what? How we use our tongue, how we speak, our mouths. And so again, here in verse 5, look with me, notice what it says. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Now, here's what it says. False flattery is self-destructive. You ever met a person like that that they just... They're almost kind of cheesy, aren't they? They're just kind of always, oh, Bruce, you are so wonderful. Bruce, you're just so great. What a great guy, Bruce. Bruce is a great guy. But he doesn't really mean it. He just They're always flattering people. You ever notice? How many of you have met people like that? Now, listen to me for a moment. Here's what Proverbs says. When a person does that, and they're not being truthful about it, they are setting up a trap for themselves. They are setting up a trap. They're setting up a snare. Because when they do that, the chances are they're going to be caught in their words. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let's say Sam here is a schmuck. He's a crook. You know, and I'm going around and I'm flattering him. And I flatter, oh, Bruce, that Sam guy is so wonderful. That Sam guy is so wonderful. Now, here's the thing. Sam, Sam, by his nature, is a schmuck. He, he's a scoundrel. Does Sam really care what I say? No, no. Will Sam do me in? Will he take advantage of me? Yeah. Okay, so now he takes advantage of me. Do I now go to Bruce and say, he's a schmuck? I've just been telling everybody what? Yeah, see, do you see how it's self-destructive? Because now who looks like an idiot? Yeah, I do. Because everybody else knew who what Sam was like. Everybody else knew. Sam's a great guy, though. This, that's not false flattery. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm not laying a snare for myself there. Okay. Look at verse 6 now, the issue of security. By transgression, an evil man is snared. But the righteous sings and rejoices. Look, notice now. Here's the point. Only the righteous can enjoy a sense of security. Only the righteous can enjoy a sense of security. Now, usually when we think in terms of security today in our culture, we usually think in terms of how big your bank account is, how secure your job is, whether or not you have bill collectors coming after you, and... You, you think in terms of that, but that's not what the Proverbs is talking about here. The Proverbs is talking about really is an issue of conscience. So if you are a man of integrity or a woman of integrity and you walk in righteousness, that you are, you are walking as a reflection of who you are as a righteous person, 
when you lay your head on the pillow at night, will you sleep? But if you're wicked and you practice wickedness, will you be able to sleep at night? Not necessarily. And, and, and it's not because of your conscience, because you can sear your conscience. There are a lot of people who can sleep with a seared conscience. What's, what keeps them up at night is worrying about who else is going to do them in. There's no sense of security there. You understand? They're, they're, they're insecure about people around them. We've talked about that. Remember, let's say Sam is the scoundrel. And I'm a righteous man and I work for Sam. Sam's constantly accusing me of what? Cheating him. Even though I'm not cheating him. Why is Sam accusing me of that? Yeah, because he does it. He does it. And so he's worried about somebody else doing the same kind of thing that he does because he thinks everyone else acts that way. That's the whole point there. There's security. Only the righteous can enjoy a sense of security, of well-being. Of well-being. Because listen, you can have everything else taken away from you. You can lose your job. You can lose your home. You can have everything else taken away from you, but you can still have a sense of security. You understand what I'm saying? The Bible measures security in a different way. Because you know that you're right before God, and ultimately He takes care of you. See, that's the point I want you to see here. Now let's go on. Look at the issue of justice. Verse 7. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. Look at verse 7. Here's what it says. Only the righteous champion justice for the poor. Only the righteous champion justice for the poor. Listen, the righteous person who truly understands, who truly knows Jesus, who truly knows God, is going to understand all of the, the, whole, the total needs of a person versus the wicked who maybe are only focused on one thing, and then ultimately, because they're wicked, their focus is on who? So even when they help someone who's in need, they're not doing it necessarily for who? The person who needs help. They're doing it for them. Look at me. I just gave Sam $5, even though he's a schmuck. You know? Look at me. Now, here's the danger, though. Don't we Christians do the same thing though? See, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta examine our lives. So, only the righteous can champion justice for the poor. Look now at the verse 8, the issue of wisdom. Scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away wrath. Here's the point I want you to see. The wise maintain peace and harmony in a society. The wise maintain peace and harmony in the society. Now again, scoffers are those who are antagonistic towards God, who do not believe. But a wise man turns away wrath. See, someone who doesn't believe and they're focused on self, they'll quickly stir up what? Problems. Because they're not concerned about the greater whole, they're only concerned about themselves. And look, we're seeing the same thing happening in our society today. And, and I'm not talking about any one group. I'm talking about all groups because all groups today and even Christians are talking about their what? Rights. 
It's my right, and I need to protect my right. And so they're, not, they're only thinking in terms of themselves rather than the greater whole and the greater well-being. And that's the whole point of this proverb. Okay? Because a scoffer will stir up, but a wise person will what? Will, will, will maintain peace. A wise person will maintain peace. Okay, look at verse 9. If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there is no peace. Now here's what he's saying. It's a waste of time to settle a dispute rationally with a fool. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to hear that today because here's the point. If you've got a person who's a fool, here's a per- when I remember what the biblical definition of a fool is, no consideration of God, biblical definition of a fool is, is not teachable. Remember, all throughout Proverbs we've seen they cannot be taught They're not going to mature. They're going to stay immature. They refuse to grow. It doesn't matter what you say. So here you are. You're in a dispute with them. And you're you're operating from the standpoint of wisdom that says, we need to settle this dispute, come to some sort of agreement with each other. But have you ever had a fight with somebody and they were totally irrational? Ever had a fight like that? And they were totally irrational? No looking at your spouses here, folks, okay? They were totally irrational, or sisters, or whatever. Okay, Here, here's the point I want you to see. They were totally irrational. It didn't matter what you want. They were just crazy about it. Here's what Proverbs is saying. It's a waste of time. You're wasting your time. If anything, you're just pouring gas on the fire. The more you try to settle it, the worse it gets. Because they're not teachable. They're not teachable. Look at verse 10 now. The bloodthirsty hate the blameless, but the upright seek his well-being. So here's the point. Bloodthirsty men loathe the integrity of the upright. Now, when we talk about a bloodthirsty man, that's a man who is ready to shed blood, who's ready to kill. And when when you're ready to kill, you have no consideration for the value of life for the value of anyone's life. Now, why do you think they hate men and women of integrity? Why do you think they hate them? Because here's what Solomon is saying. A bloodthirsty man loathes the righteous. Why do you think they hate? Okay, jealousy, okay. Bruce thinks it's jealousy. Okay, that's possible. Anybody else? Why do you think? Okay, they understand it. Okay, Righteous people will stand in the way of what they want to do. Okay, that's good, Nancy. That's pretty good. Anybody else? Okay, it shows them up, reveals their their character. Okay, all right. Anyone else? Okay, the righteous care for other people, so it's like the exact opposite of who they are. All right. I mean, we could go on and on, but I want you to see is, and you say those things would cause somebody to hate you if you're a man of integrity? Yes, because if your heart is evil... If your heart is evil and focused on self, you will loathe the person of integrity. Because it reveals what in your heart? The wickedness in your own heart. And see, that's the whole point there. That's the whole point there. Now, let's go on. Look at the issue of character, verse 11. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Here's the point. It takes wisdom to restrain anger. Here's the issue of character. When you've got somebody 
who, I mean, let me just, let me take a poll here. How many of you get ticked off and irritated? Raise your, raise your hand. Okay. So all of us get irritated. Now, here's the issue. It's what you do with it that reveals your character. That's the point of the proverb. Every one of us gets angry. It's what you do with it that reveals your character. That's the whole point of the proverb. So if you're venting it, how does the Bible describe you? Yeah, the fool. But a wise person, what? Reveals with it, restrains it. Deals with it. See, that's why the Bible says things like, be angry and sin not. Because let me just stop. The issue of sin isn't the anger. Anger is not sin. So when you're angry, that's not sin. Does everybody understand me? It's what you do with the anger. Does everybody understand that now? It's what you do with the anger that can be sinful. And so the issue of character here is it takes wisdom to restrain anger. Now look at the issue of speech. Getting back to speaking here. If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. Now this is looking at it from the standpoint of listening to the speech. Once a ruler listens to lies, his court will be corrupted. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to put a star by that verse. And why do I want you to do that? Because when we go all the way over into Timothy in the New Testament, Paul tells us to pray for who? Our leaders, kings, authorities. Now, here, why do I want you to put a star by this verse? Because this is what this verse is telling you, that when you have a leader who listens to lies, the nation becomes corrupt. What am I going to pray for them? I'm going to pray for godly men and women to be around him to give godly counsel and for the Lord to shut the mouths of those who are speaking what? Lies. Do you understand? See, your prayers for the leadership shouldn't be, God, get my party in. I know some of us are praying that way, uh, but you need to, that's not a good prayer. You need to pray for whoever the leader is, God would put godly counsel around them. You understand? God will put counsel around them that will speak wisdom to them. Whoever the party is. The point I want you to see is, whether it's a man or a woman, whoever's in office, you need to pray for godly wisdom around them. Godly wisdom. Okay, now let's look at uh, verse 13, the issue of life. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Here's the point I want you to see. Regardless of status, all people receive their life from God. It's what doesn't matter if you're poor or if you're rich. Every one of you is breathing a breath because God gave it to you. That's the whole point of the proverb. Life comes from God. He is the giver of life and the sustainer of life, and he takes life. You understand what I'm saying? He takes it. And that's the whole point of what we see there. Look now the issue of stability of government. Verse 14. The king who judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. Here's the point. Fairness, fairness towards the poor will ensure the security of the throne. Fairness towards the poor 
will ensure the security of the throne. Now, let me just stop for a I've got to make a comment here. It is real easy for us as Americans to cop an attitude about government programs. And you might be a hard-working person, and you might feel that they just need to work, and they're just taking tax dollars and throwing it away, blah, blah, blah. You know, I've heard all kinds of stuff, and maybe you've held those views or whatever. Maybe you hold them now. But here's what I want you to see. The point of Proverbs is this. There is a responsibility that the government, that the kingdom, that the king has towards his subjects for their well-being, whether they do it to themselves or not. So when we make comments about the poor, my only comment to you is this. Be very careful. Be very careful. Because what you're doing is, is you're entering into a spirit of judgment. A spirit of judgment. And you don't know all of the circumstances. And if you have a society that does not care for the poor, no matter what caused their circumstances, you've got to be careful. Because if they're not going to care for those who are the least of our society, when you need help, will they care for you? You see my point? Now, you may disagree with what I'm saying, but I want you to be biblical in your attitude. Be biblical in your attitude, because much of what... Let's be honest. Let me just be upfront and honest with you. Much of what we hold to has nothing to do with the Bible. has to do with our upbringing. And when you look at Proverbs, when you look at Proverbs, over and over and over again, it talks about generosity towards the poor. Period. It doesn't say examine them to make sure that they did right or they're not doing wrong things with it. It says to examine them. Because what they're caught in a cycle. I mean, how many of you, some of you here support children through compassion. We did that compassion drive there. How many of you are doing that? Just, okay, a few of you. Okay. Compassion will tell you that compassion tries to break the cycle of poverty in third world countries because it is a cycle it's an education thing as well as everything else. It, everything affects them as to why they say that way. I know this as helping out folks here in the community with their financial needs. They, they have value systems that are different and they need to be changed, but they're not going to change overnight. So what do we do? We tell them not to eat anything until they get it right? Listen, how many of you who have that attitude can, can answer a phone and talk to a woman who says... I need help with fuel oil. It's $500 for a minimum load. I'm heating my home with my four little kids with the oven open. Tell me you can have that kind of attitude now. This is what the Bible's talking about. A kingdom who does not care for its poor. It's not going to be stable. And we can have attitudes towards it. And I agree, there are excesses. Because no government is good. And there are people who do take advantage. But do we throw the baby out with the bathwater? See, that's the point I want you to say. I want us to be biblical. Biblical. Fairness towards the poor will ensure the security of the throne. 
That's the whole point he's talking about here. Verse 15, the issue of discipline. Okay, here, again, here's an issue that we've got to grasp. A rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. My friends, this is the verse for 21st century America. Listen to what it says here. Discipline brings wisdom, whereas a child left to himself brings disgrace. You don't know how many times I have seen parents who will just let little Billy and little Jimmy do whatever and not correct them. And they just assume that little Billy and little Jimmy will just get it out of their system and they'll be okay. The problem is little Billy and little Jimmy are going to get older and they're going to be the same way anyhow. And then mom's going to wonder, why are they in jail? That's the whole point. You've got to do discipline. You've got to do discipline. You have to discipline your children because discipline, listen, is not a reaction to what they're doing wrong. Discipline is the molding of character. Does everybody understand me? Discipline is not a reaction to what they're doing wrong because a lot of people discipline out of reaction. Discipline is the molding of character. And let me be honest with you, it's easier when they're younger to mold their character. How many of you try to mold the character of an 18-year-old? How many of you try to mold the character of a 50-year-old? Some of you spouses are trying that. You know? How many of you tried to do that? You can't. It's easier when they're what? Younger. That's the whole point of progress here. Look at the issue of judgment now. The wicked are multiplied. Transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Here's the point. The wicked will eventually fall, and the righteous will live to see it and will rejoice. Now, you're probably asking me, when will that take place? When we go to be with Jesus. Some of you are asking, Lord, how much do we have to endure this? How long before you... Listen, ultimately everything will be, what? Dealt with later on. You just have to be patient. Because it's only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse. And one day everybody will stand before God. Okay, we're back to the issue of discipline now. Verse 17. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Here's the point. A disciplined child will bring contentment to parents. A disciplined child will bring contentment to parents. Okay, I think that's very self-explanatory. Look with me now at verse 18. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. Without God's word, people abandon themselves to sin. I've been reading a book, uh, started reading a book. I mentioned this to the elders the other night. Put out by the Barner Research Group, by president of, of the Barner Group, which is Dave Kinneman. And it's called Unchristian. What the new generation really thinks about Christianity and why it matters. Now, the new generation that they're talking about is from age 30 on down. Which, can I tell you, that is the demographic that's not going to church. That's the demographic that the Southern Baptists are worried about when 90% of them don't come back anymore, as far as leaving the church when they turn 18. And here's what they said, and I'm going to make a comment here, because I want you to watch something. 
Because this is a concern for you and I, because especially about what this proverb is saying, without God's words, people abandon themselves to sin. And I want you to listen to what I'm saying to you. This group, this age group, from 30 on down, we call them, in pastoral circles, we call them the lost generation. Listen to me, they're called the lost generation. You want to know why they're lost? Because they're not here. Oh, we have a few here right now. Be thankful that they're here, but most of them are not here. And they are not coming. Because there are six reasons why. And he lists the six reasons. Number one, he, they have a negative attitude towards Christians and Christianity because, number one, they feel we're hypocritical. They consider us hypocritical, saying one thing and doing another. Number two, too focused on getting converts. We're too focused on getting numbers. And let's be honest. We have been. Number three, this is going to scare you, but when you look at the demographics and the statistics, they feel we're anti-homosexual. That age group is more accepting of the homosexual lifestyle than anybody else. So they view us as being anti-homosexual. Here's the other one. They view us, number four, as being sheltered. They see us as being sheltered. We're old-fashioned, boring, and out of touch with reality. Number five, we're too political. Is that we're overly motivated by a political agenda, and we are. Because I'll be honest with you. And, and, I, and I almost have to agree with them. When I'm listening to Christian radio, it's one thing to have a stand against abortion. But what does a capital gains tax have to do with Christianity? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's one thing to have a political viewpoint on moral issues. But what does capital gains tax have to do with any of that? See, we've mixed the two. We've mixed the two. Here's the other one, and this is the final one, judgmental. Outsiders think of Christians as too quick to judge. They say we're not honest about our attitudes and perspectives and about other people. Now, why am I mentioning this to you? Why, what does this have to do with this right here? Well, I've noticed something very interesting. Have you noticed through the news that right now with the election, every state where there's been a primary, they have broken records as far as who's registering to vote? Have you ever noticed that? You want to know who that demographic is? The folks who think those six things about us. And that group is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And what does Proverbs have to do with what I'm talking about? Without God's word, people abandon themselves to sin. This country's changing and we gotta get our heads out of the sand and quit talking about it being a Christian nation because the thirties on down have no concept of God and don't care about us and what we believe because they think we're hypocritical. And let's be honest. When I read through that list, they're right on most of them. The very first one. Aren't we hypocritical? Aren't we? Hey, you know what the number one sin in the church today is? Prejudice. And I'm going to sit there and tell you that Jesus loves everybody, but I got a problem with you because you're Italian or you 
are a welfare class person, or you're a rich person, or your skin is black, or your skin is tan, or your eyes are different than my eyes, and then we're going to think that the world looks at us and says, Boy, I love those Christians. Jesus loves them. That's the message. And we sing, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. But we add in there, except me. Jesus loves you, but I don't. You see what I'm saying? Listen, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. The reason why the Southern Baptists have the problem with their leaving the church is not because of, it's not because they didn't get a good enough teaching, it's because they didn't see it re- being real at home. They didn't see Christianity lived out. We just believed something and acted one way at church and acted another way when we left. You say, what do you mean? Listen, just go talk to a clerk at Walmart. Go talk to the waitress at Pizza Hut. And let them tell you how the Christians act in their, after they come in there after church. Did you see my point? So we've got a generation that says, well, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Why would I want to have anything to do with that? That's hypocritical. And so that generation is coming up. And I'm telling you, here's the scary thing. Without God's Word, people abandon themselves to sin. We are moving down a path. We say, how do we solve the problem then? We've got to get right. You've got to get right. You've got to show yourself right. So that they know what true Christianity is, not a double talk thing. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not a double talk thing. It's not a double talk thing. So then go on then. Then, because notice something. This is what we want to see happen. On the other hand, keeping God's law brings happiness. That's what that verse is talking about there, verse 18. Notice what it says again. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. True happiness is not going to be found in throwing it off. True happiness is going to be found in keeping it. Let's go on. Verse 19, the issue of discipline. A servant will not be corrected by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. Here's the point. It's not sufficient to train servants by words alone. It's not sufficient to train servants by words alone. Then look now at the issue of speech. Verse 20. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Here's the point it's making here. It's easier to train a fool than to correct rash speech. Now, we just talked about how easy it was to train a fool. How easy is it to train a fool? It's hard. Now, you got somebody who just, just says it, doesn't think about what they're saying, just spews it out there, I just speak my mind. The, the Scriptures, the Proverbs is telling us, the wisdom is telling us is it's easier for you to train the fool, and it's already impossible to train them, than to train somebody who doesn't have control over their tongue. You see my point? When you talk about somebody who doesn't have control over their tongue, it's easier for you to train a fool who's unteachable in the first place. 
Now you're saying, well, I know somebody like that. How do I help them? You know what? The only way you can help them is pray for them. Is to pray for them. Okay, let's go on. Look at the issue now of discipline again. Verse 21. He who pampers his servant from childhood will have him as a son in the end. He who pampers his servant from childhood will have him as a son in the end. Here's the point, and this is what the commentators say. An undisciplined service causes nothing but grief. Here's the point. When you have a servant and you're pampering him throughout his life, all his life, he's going to be like a son. He's not going to do what you ask him to do. You've got to understand their culture. Again, here's Solomon. He's a king. He's, you know, when his children, did he put his children to work? No. They lived the pampered lifestyle. But when you have a servant who's supposed to do the work and you pamper him, you just kind of just, you don't deal with him when he does something wrong. You just let him do whatever he wants to do. Is he going to do stuff for you later on? No, he's going to act like a son. He's going to act like a son. See, that's a little bit beyond our comprehension because we don't live that way. How many of you have servants? No hands here. You may think you're a servant. So let's go on now. The issue of character. We're getting back to the issue of anger now. Look at verse 22. An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. Here's the point. Anger brings strife and sin. Anger brings strife and sin. When you've got somebody who's angry, who doesn't know how to deal with his anger, he will cause nothing but what? Problems. He'll stir up stuff. Look now at the issue of pride. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Notice something here. Pride brings one low, whereas humility brings honor and respect. Can I tell you, you don't want to know what the chief sin is? Pride. Now, can I inform you of something? Every one of you suffers from it. I'm not prideful. Yeah, you are. You just have deceived yourself. Because out of that one sin, pride, comes all the other sins. Out of that one sin, pride. And let me just stop for a moment. I'm not talking about pride in the sense of little Billy did a really good job playing baseball and I'm proud of him or little Billy got straight A's in school and I'm proud. We're not talking about, that's not the pride I'm talking about. We're talking about a self-centered attitude where you put yourself above other people, whatever level. And look, I've dealt with people who are in the ditch of life. And they even, even they exhibit pride. Like I'll say to them, once you get a job, you know, McDonald's is hiring. Oh, I could never work at McDonald's. I wouldn't work there. Why do they say that? Pride. Pride. Doesn't matter how low you are in the ditch. Because in their mind, I have to what? Humble myself to work there. What if my buddies come in and see me there flipping, flipping burgers? You know? So, pride brings one low, whereas humility brings honor and respect. Here's the point I want you to see now. Uh, look at the issue of verse 24. We're gonna, we've got four more verses here and we're gonna wrap it up. Verse 24, whoever is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He swears to tell the truth, but reveals nothing. Here's the point I want you to see. 
An accomplice to sin becomes his own enemy because his involvement works against him. When you get involved with somebody who's involving themselves in sin, you are an accomplice to it. And I'll be honest with you, you're working against yourself. You're destroying yourself. Because notice what it says there. It says, he swears to tell the truth but reveals nothing. Why? He says, oh, I'll tell you what happened. But he doesn't say anything. Why? Because when he says what happened, what happens then? He then exposes himself as being an accomplice to it. He then exposes himself as being an accomplice to it. Look at the issue of security again. Verse 25. The fear of men brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Here's the point. True security is a result of trusting God and not humans. Your security in life is not based upon who you fear or who you trust. Because men will always disappoint you, will they not? How many, I mean, we should be, we've lived long enough now, even those of you who are younger here, you have lived long enough now to know that men will always do you wrong. They'll never follow through on what they say. And so the point is, is that security comes from trusting in God. Look, here's the point now. Look at verse 26, the issue of justice. Many seek a ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. Here's the point I want you to see. True justice ultimately comes from God. And let me tell you something. You may not see justice now, but one day justice will be shown. Justice will be shown when God judges the world. And then let's look, verse 27, the last verse of this section of these Proverbs compiled by the men of Hezekiah. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. But he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. Okay, so here's, here's the point. The righteous and the wicked detest the lifestyles of each other. That's a pretty good proverb, isn't it? You may look and say, man... I can't believe the way they're living. That is just an abomination. They turn around and look at you and say, I can't believe the way they're living. It's an abomination. Isn't that what we're seeing? Isn't that what we're seeing? Okay, next week we're going to be in Lesson 41. We're going to spend two weeks on the words of Agur and Lemuel. And then, ladies, Lesson 43, we're going to look at Proverbs 31. And so we will look at that in detail and help you come to a place of freedom. Okay? All right. Let's close.